This episode is a gem. If you work with preschoolers with autism, if you know someone who works with preschoolers with autism, if you know someone who has a child who's a preschooler with autism, make sure to share this episode with them. It is going to be jam-packed with some functional information that will really optimize gains in terms of expressive language development. So what I'm going to talk about today is gestalt language development and why it is so good to use in intervention and why you should embrace it and never force shorter phrases and never force more contingent language before the child is ready to use that language. So let me give you a little bit of a background of my personal experience with Gestalt language development, how I incorporate that into my weekly CIS membership activities that I'm using with the children. And then I'm going to tell you about the research behind why you should use Gestalt language development when working with children with autism. And of course, I'm going to leave you with five tips for you to use today day. And these are tips from my lesson 19 in my book that's coming out. 32 lessons that create lifelong change for an autism intervention. Make sure to get that book. It should be coming out very, very soon. I'm editing and editing away at this. This is going to be a wonderful book. If you are a teacher, if you're a therapist, if you're a speech pathologist, if you're a parent of children with autism, if you know someone that has a child with autism, I am giving you 32 very, very important lessons that create change. These are the game changers. These are going to be quick reads. I'm talking one to two pages. This is what you need to know in each lesson. And I'm leaving you with five high five tips. These are five tips that you put in practice tomorrow that are evidence-based. And they're also based on my personal experience of specializing and working with children with autism for 20 years. So I'm giving you just the good stuff that will give you better outcomes today and tomorrow. I can't wait for it to come out. And I'm sharing these lessons during autism April month. And my goal is to have it out by the end of the month. We'll see how that goes on Amazon. So let's dive into today's episode. I'm going to give you an example from this week and how I've used, and I'm using my CIS membership movement activities, and how I've used it with a child this week. So when I was walking with this child to therapy, I always listen to what songs are on your mind today. What is sticking with your mind? And one of the children had with their mind going on a bear hunt. So going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch them. And a lot of times I'll just hear them humming it. And then a couple of words will come out here and there. And I have to listen really closely to be like, oh, that's the muffin man. Okay, wait, this is the bear hunt song. I will go and take that. And then when I sit down and we get into the therapy room, I'm going to use that and capitalize on that gestalt, capitalize on that catchy tune that they're playing over and over in their head and singing aloud. And I'm going to incorporate that into the actions in our movement activity. So the first thing I do when the children sit down is I have, I use, if they're not speaking just yet, I use an augmentative communication device. I like LAMP for life. I'm going to tell you I'm very impartial to LAMP for life, and I've tried pretty much every device out there, I think. But what I like about LAMP for life is that it has 5,500 vocabulary words already in the device, right? And they have 
a lot of comments. So every page, there's comments on the device. And we're going to talk about that later. But as I've said so before, comments are the golden apple of communication. They're worth exponentially more than requests. So we want children to comment as much as possible. And having access to comments on every page in the device is really gold. That makes it very, very special. There's some a couple of other reasons why I also like the device because they do not move the symbols around ever. We've talked about this before in a different episode, high-tech versus low-tech, but what I can do is simply make less symbols visible if I need to improve the accuracy for a child. And then just like a dance with accuracy, I can make more symbols visible. If the child is sick one day, if the child's fussy one day, I can pull back on the number of symbols visible. So children, we know they have good days, they have bad days, they have activities that they're into, they have activities they're not so into. And to be able to work dynamically on a moment-to-moment basis with the communication device is so important so that you're always able to work at the child's challenge point and ensure a minimal 80% accuracy rate. And that's because practice makes perfect. It also makes imperfect. And I want to build accurate motor plans and motor memory for the child when they're using their device. So let's talk about that. The first thing I'll have them do is they sit down and they use their device for the movement activity they choose. I have two movement activities each week. Then after that, I have a look at sentence strip. So they use their device to play. So maybe they say, let's play on their device. And then I'm going to bring out a feely box and they're going to pull out a sticker from my CIS membership activities that has the printed word right on it. Then they're going to, I stick the sticker on the look at sentence strip. Then they read look at, and then they're going to read whatever that object is. So we did the three little pigs, it's nursery rhyme week, and we did the three little kittens. I had two movement activities. So I'm going to give you the example from the three little kittens activity in which I had a bridge and a trampoline and they stuck the mittens and the kittens on the wall because they lost their kittens. Now we're getting back to the sentence strip. They read the sentence strip. They have a mitten at the end, then they tear it off. Now with that, I'm going to think, okay, what song do they have in the mind when I was walking with them? This was going on a bear hunt. So what am I going to do with that song? I'm going to say this, right? Gone, we're gone, we're going, so I'm going to, we're going on a mitten hunt. We're going to put the mitten on. We're not scared. And then we're going to go through the bridge, right? So I'll say, walk crossing the bridge now, <gasps> crossing the bridge now. And then after that, we're going to jump in the swamp, which is the trampoline. <gasps> Jumping in the swamp now, <gasps> Jumping in the swamp now. And then we'll say, on goes the mitten. On goes the mitten. And then so I, so I put it in a song like that. So I have all of these different verbs and I'm talking about the, the bridge, I'm talking about the swamp, I'm talking about the mitten on the wall, the mitten goes on, on, on the kitten, and then we're going to go, go into our chair now, because they're going to go back to their chair. Gonna check a checklist, check, check, check. 
we're not scared. So then we go on to the next one. So I go ahead and they have that tune in their mind and I'm going to give them diverse nouns, diverse vocabulary. And I'm talking as I sportscast their activity, what they're doing. So what happens oftentimes is in that same session, the child is going to pick up those verbs and they'll say, jumping on. So if they're jumping in the swamp, jumping in the swamp now. So the child goes, jump, jump, jump. So they're picking up these words. And what have I done? I've taken their gestalt language, which is that memorized chunk of music. And I've put new words and I put new verbs and new nouns into that language. And I followed in on what their actions were at the moment, sports casting every moment. I'm also during that activity, imitating them alongside as they're going through the activity, being super animated and fun. So what is the secrets to everything that we have going on in this therapy session in my task-oriented movement activities, which are part of the CIS membership? If, you, if you're not a member yet, I encourage you to join. It really is that good. But what you have here is you have something that the research will call high, it's, it's called, I'm going to get it right, high states, uh, high states of joint attention. And the research calls these high states of joint, joint attention because what you have here is you have the child attending to the adult and attending to the activity simultaneously. So I'm making animated facial expression. I'm imitating and doing what the child's doing while the child's doing it. So the child's just as interested in me as the child is into the activity. Child's looking at me, child's um, referencing the activity back and forth. My language is called following in. What they refer to as follow in, and, and this came out of Vanderbilt and the researchers from Vanderbilt like to use this and research this, is I'm talking about what the child's interested in. I'm talking about what the child's doing, and I'm basically mapping out the experiences with my language. So what the research has shown is the secrets to my success when I'm working with these children is that we're at a high state of joint attention. We're also following in on what the child's doing, what the child's interested in when I'm using my language. And also I'm using language that's very diverse and my utterances are long. So when it comes to children with autism and a lot of this research came out of Vanderbilt in the last 15 years in which I would have to give Paul Yoder credit out of Vanderbilt because in these last 15 years, him and his graduate students they have researched that children benefit from having caregivers that use longer, more complex utterances. He also found with him and his graduate students over the last 15 years that children benefit from using more diverse verbs and more diverse vocabulary. In his research, not surprisingly, with his graduate students over the last 15 years, the quality of the interactions also matter. It's one thing if the child's just engaged in the activity, it's much better if the child can jointly engage with the activity and with the adult. And you can accomplish that by staying in close proximity with the child and also by imitating the child's actions and being highly animated to get their attention throughout. 
So when we're talking about language, there's another piece of the puzzle that I'm offering these children that is also supported in the research. And that is taking a multi-sensory approach to language. The children aren't simply hearing the words in therapy. What they're doing is they're hearing the words in song. They're seeing the words in my CIS membership because I have them in print and I have them in big pictures. And the research indicates that children with autism, they pick up vocabulary words that you can see better than those that you can't see. So they're gonna pick up the word apple before they pick up the word, for instance, I'm dreaming of something. And you can't really see See what a dream looks like, but you can with an apple, you can visualize that. So I'm providing them this extra visual support. I'm providing them with the print as well. I'm also providing them with gestures. So when I say look at, I'm making these big gestures with my hands, look at, and then whatever it is. Now notice I use look at repeatedly again and again and again and again and again. That is on purpose. I am embracing the gestalt manner in which they learn language through repetition. And I'm using the same carrier phrase over and over again. And it's no accident that I'm not saying I want. I'm not saying I want because look at is a bid for joint attention. You're bidding not only to engage in the activity or to see the object, but also for the communication partner's attention. So this is a comment. Comment are worth, comments are worth so much more than requests. We want to encourage commenting over requesting and as much as possible. So what I'm doing is I'm doing a multi-sensory approach to teaching language, realizing that children, as I've mentioned many times before with autism, language simply does not develop naturally. And that's because of, we can, this is another episode, there is the presence of a motor speech disorder in which neurological and physiological differences that are inherent with populations with autism impedes their ability to naturally learn language through play like their neurotypical peers do. So what we want to do in therapy is empty out every tool we have to teach them language, print, song, gestures, chanted speech, slowed speech, longer utterances, greater diversity of vocabulary, greater diversity of verbs. So the research leads the way in what these children need because the research has shown that when the communication partners talk with children with autism and they're using shorter, truncated caveman speech, you can tell I'm not a fan because I say caveman speech, such as if someone was using this type of my movement activity and doing the caveman speech, and I've seen this happen before and it drives me crazy, they would, for instance, say, they would, for instance, if they're picking the picture up, they would say, they would say, touch, they would say, touch, they'd say like one word phrase, touch, like for instance, they want to touch the picture, right, touch the, the button, touch, right, and then, it, and then after that, when it comes to pointing, they would say, you do, I mean, it drives me crazy, <laughs> so I can, I can really impersonate it, and I really, early on, I'm like, here's the research, don't do that, you know, I know that is one thing it's like because I said, so I don't think that's a reason. Here is the research why the truncated speech is a no-no. 
then they'll go when it comes to the, the the child going across the bridge they'll say the child's name walk so the i'm not using any child's name that i'm working with but owen walk owen walk owen walk and then they'll say for instance they want the child to go on the black trampoline they'll say they'll say here they'll say black jump black jump black jump black and it's just like this is the opposite of what these children benefit from. These children benefit from longer, more grammatically correct utterances and greater diversity of vocabulary and greater diversity of verbs. So we know that about the input that we wanna give these children. Now let's look at what we wanna see from the child. When they look at research meta-analytically of children's language samples at the preschool level, and they look at who as adults develops the fluid use of speech, where they're able to have conversational speech as adults, at the preschool level, it's the children with the longer utterances, it's the children with the more complex utterances, it's the children with a greater diversity of nouns and verbs, and it's also the children who comment more. They use language for social purposes. These are the children at the preschool level that are going to do better off as adults. So we do have a crystal ball when we look at longitudinal research. Though nothing's definitive, we know that these are the prognostic predictors of success as adults. We want to build the length of their utterances. We want to build the complexity of their utterances. We want to build the diversity of their verbs. We wanted to build the diversity of their nouns. We want to very importantly encourage commenting. So how many times have people used augmentative and alternative communication? And it's only about requesting. So we got to get away from that and we got to focus more on the comment because the comment is prognostically the golden apple of it all. So what does this tell us? We, we looked at the personal experience. I tried to paint a picture of how I do therapy and how I embrace the gestalt and embracing the gestalt, how I use a follow in and what the child's actions and what the child's interests are in creating a song that is not only grammatically correct the song, but I'm using lots of different nouns. I'm using lots of different verbs as I follow in in high states of joint attention between the child, myself and the activity. And then we're going to talk about at the end, what are five high five tips I'm going to grab from my book right now, which is in lesson 19 of the book, which is Gestalt is good. So the first tip is I want you to pay attention to the catchy phrases and catchy songs and the, ch the children are learning. So if you've ever heard like simple, super simple videos, they, they've, they're very good at this. They'll take any tune, it'll be apples and bananas. And then they're like, okay, let's make that song a vegetable song. I like to eat, I like to eat broccoli and carrots, you know, and then they're going to do the vegetable song. Think like super simple does. It's super simple. You take, what am I doing in therapy? What is their favorite song? And let's go put it into music to give them a multi-sensory language experience. 
The second thing I'd like you to do is use song for those difficult times of the day to prevent. Now, I don't like you to, I don't want you to be singing after the child's having a tantrum and you're rewarding a tantrum behavior and making the tantrum feel like good and pairing um, tantrums with an enjoy with their favorite song. So think about those transitions that are difficult for the children. So for instance, if we have the child that's liking the song going on a bear hunt, we might say, we're going to the classroom. We're going to check your schedule. We're not scared. Oh, no, big hallway. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Must go through it. So just take their favorite song and transition, help them transition through those difficult times of the day. So it could also be a new behavior that they're learning, such as getting dressed, right? So if we're pulling up our pants, the same thing. Gonna put our pants on, gonna step in our legs, one leg at a time. Anything could be put into a song, but those transitions and teaching those new multi-step skills that'll really help out with the motor planning and the motor programming and the execution. And it also make the experience more enjoyable. So the third way we can embrace the gestalt and the gestalt being good is using vocal inflection of words. Now, when I first started out, of course, you know, I did the floor time training and the greenspan training. I did, I've been done training in all the areas, which is a great thing to do. And like I said, Working with children with autism is an all of the above proposition. And anyone that says it's it's an either or proposition or there's only one answer, I would say is really missing out. So from the floor time, I learned the ready, set, go. And that works, always using ready, set, go. But what happened is I had children that would just say ready, set, go for everything. So if they wanted bubbles, they would say ready, set, go. If they wanted a blanket swing, they'd say ready, set, go. If they wanted to pull them away again, it was ready, set, go. Instead, I like to use look at. So it's the same thing. I'm embracing the gestalt. And what I do is I like to use it for tip four with gestures so that they can see it visually. So for look at, I'll put my hands and say, look, and I'm doing it in this slow choral speech. And the children like the vibration from my mouth that is coming into their vibration. And it gives them time to perceive the speech and it gives them time to join you. So I'll say, ah, and then they'll join me for the ad. I'll just hold it on nice and slow. And then whatever it is. So if it's balls, we'll put about balls, you know. So the children really pick up that look at as a gestalt because they've heard it repeatedly time and time again. And I use it in the same manner, kind of like years ago, if you learned Ready, Set, Go. Ready? Set, you know, and every time you're doing it the same way, with look at every time I'm doing it the same way. <clears throat> so the child's imitating the motor actions, the child's imitating the speech. I'm doing it very slowly, which gives the time ch the child time to perceive me and join me. So let's look at the next tip, number five. Use the same movements every time to help with the language processing. So you're pairing the gestures like with a dance routine to increase the efficiency of the learning process. 
So let me give you an example of that. I end every session the same way. We have our checklist for our movement or cis movement activity. And I turned the checklist over and I said, okay, now it's time to write your name, right? So my song is always, there was a child who worked so hard. And I'm just making up a name here for confidentiality purposes, by the way. And Charlie was his name, C-H-A-R-L-I-E, Charlie. Charlie was his name. Oh. There was a child who worked so hard and Charlie was his name. Oh. Now it's time to say goodbye. Now it's time to say goodbye. Now it's time to say goodbye. And Charlie worked so hard. No, I kind of made that up at the end. It didn't have a good zinger at the end. But <laughs> I always sing that very same song with every child I work with, every single therapy session, that's our closing song. And what happens is the child starts singing when they want to leave. There was a child that, you know, and that's the cue. I'm ready, Miss Kelly. Let's go. It's time to go. And they, I don't know if these children could read the clock, but they're always right on. So they sing the song. Now, what I do is when they say, now it's time to say goodbye. Now it's time to say goodbye. Now it's time to say goodbye. And Charlie was or whatever. They sing the song like that. I'm not saying, okay, say bye-bye. I respect that. That's their language. That's how they learn. They learn in these chunks. And the, I'm not going to shorten that chunk. I can model a shortened version they will shorten it on their own. And all children will shorten it when they're good and ready to do so. So respect that language. You know what their intention is. They're saying, now it's time to say bye-bye. Now it's time to say bye-bye. You know they're saying bye-bye. I want to go now, right? Now it's time to say goodbye. Goodbye, bye-bye, bye-bye, right? They're saying that. Respect that. Okay, bye-bye. Now, a month later, you know what they're going to say? Bye-bye. Or maybe it'll take them two months later. Maybe it'll take them three months later. But my point is, is to respect speech as the art form that it is. And that is their canvas that they are painting on. And it's their right to edit their speech. And they will edit that speech when it's time. Because people, we're lazy. And I mean that in the best sense. We like to do things in the most efficient way possible. And just like, for instance, when I'm at the end of the school year, I'm like you, I know that you're with me on this. Your caseload's packed. Like you're in therapy every second of the day. And during lunch hour, you're getting everything done, which is the other half of your job during your lunch breaks. But I was looking for a file and I was like, what are the ABCs again? <laughs> And I don't go, and I didn't have to go through A through Z, but I had to go through three letters of the alphabet to be like, where is this file? Oh, okay. I had to say it. Now that helped me. And sometimes children need to say A through Z. They don't know the alphabet just yet, but they're going to get it over time. And, and later on, when you ask them what the first letter in their name is, they're not going to say the whole A through Z. They're going to say C. But that's not where they are right now. And you need to respect that. This is not your canvas. Their speech is not your canvas to paint on. That is their canvas to paint on. You aren't allowed to take your spray paint and cover up their words. So when they're singing that whole song, all you do is you interpret the meaning of what they're saying. And it's quite clear what the child's saying. It's time to say goodbye. 
And what you're just going to say is, okay, bye-bye. And then what are they going to do? Later on, they don't need to sing the whole song. Later on, they're just going to say, bye-bye. I got it. I've, I've, I memorized this, this language as a chunk. And later on, I'm going to break it down and I'm going to use it naturally within the routine. But let me go through my process, my curvy road that I go through in learning language. I'm going to get to the destination too. Later on, they're going to take a straighter path. Because like I said, we people are highly efficient beings and we always like to do as little as possible and get the job done. They will do that as well. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think it's personally a gem because when you start embracing language and start focusing on not teaching language, how neurotypical children learn language, but teaching language in the way that children with autism learn language, which is longer is better, more is more, give them more language and something is more likely going to stick from this long, complex sentence that you threw out their way. So take all of this information, roll up your sleeves, make sure to get my book, which is going to be coming out soon. I promise you that. It's going to be 32 lessons that create lifelong change in autism intervention. And I promise you it is going to be the quickest read, but it's also going to be the most digestible, important information that you could have at your fingertips to really roll up your sleeves and make the world a better place one child at a time. You're always going to be first.